Hi, it's That Stack of Books. I'm Nancy Pearl along with Steve Scher and and we're at Bryant Corner Cafe where it's half price cookie day. Who else is around the table? Hi, it's Bessie Lonely, Dina Tanners, Leslie Goldfarb, Keith Cook, Tom Bird, Rosberg, Robin Lindley. Well, let's start with biographies because I have some suggestions. And Steve, we were talking before we began, you said you have nothing to say because you haven't read any biographies lately. I, I was thinking about that. Last biography I read was, was Joseph Ellis's Founding Brothers. Yeah. I think that was the last one. Wow. I don't find myself reaching for biographies. What is the matter with me? Well, I not, would not want to say what is the matter with you on air, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I do have two biographies that I think that um, that you might be interested in. And the first is um, a graphic biography by Jesse Hartland called Steve Jobs Insanely Great. And I, I do think that the, uh, the putting together graphic biography is even worse than graphic novel because a graphic biography, are we gonna get all the dirty parts about Steve Jobs? Yeah, that's what I thought you meant. Well, I know you did. <laughs> that's why you grabbed for the book. This is a wonderful, wonderful, biography of um, a very, very interesting man. And it's much shorter than most of the conventional biographies of Steve Jobs. I'm thinking especially Walter Isaacson's um, one that came out last year or the year before. But what, what Jesse Hartland's done is, is give us really everything that's important to know about Steve Jobs with wonderful illustrations um, and illustrations, drawings. So this is a book that's really appropriate for um, upper middle school kids with a biography assignment, high school students with a biography assignment. I thought it was just um, just fascinating. It does not. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't paper over any of Steve Jobs' negatives, you know, the kind of person he was. It addresses um, the beginning of Apple, being forced to leave Apple, um, next, you know, that sort of disastrous project, and going back to Apple, his concern with the appearance of things, um, you know, you might say sort of his mania for that. And the illustrations, it, it, this is a book, I, I just kind of think that Steve Jobs would really have approved of this book. I think he would just find it um, as delightful as I think a lot, and informative. Let me just say, there's a lot of information in here. Walter Isaacson's oh. biography of Steve Jobs. So how does that, which was very full of information, how do those two compare? Which would you, which would you recommend to a 16-year-old? I would actually recommend uh, Jesse Hartland's biography to a 16-year-old. Um, and I think that, not to take anything away from Walter Isaacson's book, because he managed to keep everything so interesting for 600 or so pages that you wanted to know, you wanted to know more and he gave you more. But I think if, if you want to know who Steve Jobs was and why he matters in the world of, still matters in the world of technology, that um, that Jesse Hartland's book is just a really good basis for that. And then if you're really interested in Steve Jobs, go on to Walter Isaacson's book. I kind of hope it opens up sort of more biographies of interesting people that, that whose lives can be um, uh, maybe deepened or help us see who they were via these, these, these illustrations. 
Yeah, it's like the great illustrated comic books that used to be out, right? You could get for 12 cents, you could read about somebody's life. This is the same thing in the modern times. Yes, I, uh, yes, we could do that, right. We could go there. It's harder sometimes for adults to, who, who, who haven't read um, graphic novels, who aren't, familiar, who aren't used to reading books that way, because you know, there's always an issue about, do you start with the picture? This was my issue. Do I start with the picture, or do I start with the text? And gradually, it's kind of like seeing a foreign film where you do, this, you do it together. I mean, you do it simultaneously. But I think that takes practice, I think. So since everybody brought a biography, just give me a quick hit of your biographies. Then I, I have a question. This is called Jonas Salk, A Life. And it just came uh, by Charlotte DeGrasse um, Jacobs. And it was just published, I think, in May. And it's a, many of us, I think, were affected by um, we're, you know, polio pioneers. Yeah, all of us, um, it looks, looking around the table, all of uh, us here probably got the shot or the sugar the cube, shot right? And, you know, the screaming and all that. But it's a fascinating read and well written and um, researched by the author, who is also a cancer specialist. So, does he come away researcher. really alive? Oh, yes, quite alive. He, um, his first part of the of his life up to his age 41 he was recognized as a famous researcher and, and uh, discovering the vaccine for polio. The second part goes into um, his life, his new life after all you know popular acclaim and all his science friends not really or was thrilled about him oh. um, for many reasons. He was a complicated man. I brought two. I hope that's okay. One of them is Daughters of the Samurai, about three girls who came to the United States from Japan in 1871, and the amazing stories of why they came, how they came, physically, by ship, by train, where they stayed, and what happened when they came back. And the other one is Phyllis Wheatley, a biography of a genius in bondage. She was one of the last slaves brought from Africa to Boston. The slaver on the ship disobeyed uh, the, the ship owner's policy of not taking any children and not any women, and she was about seven years old, arrived in Boston in the mid to late 1700s, and about 12 years later tried to publish a book of poetry and couldn't be done in the United States. Blacks were not allowed to do that. Ended up being done in London, but she had it sit before a court that was headed by John Hancock. I found out about her when I was in the African American Museum in Boston, and luckily our library has the book. This was uh, by Kai Bird, called A Good Spy, and it was about the life and death of Robert Ames. Who, it, absolutely fascinating book if you want to find out sort of the backstory about what the, um, the uh, international um, uh, es espionage industry has, has done in the Middle East and the, and the messes that they made. And, and uh, what was fascinating was that Robert Ames was one of the first people uh, from, from the U.S. or anywhere that really understood Arabic. And, and he communicated on a very personal level with uh, pretty much most of the people in the, um, 
in the Saudi families and and uh, in some of the what we, we would now consider now uh, terrorist organizations and he really understood why they were doing what they were doing and how we didn't understand uh, what we were doing to upset their uh, traditional ways and did not understand their society. I was telling Nancy I had been, there was a series that I occasionally pick up and it's very similar to yours being a graphic novel. It's a series of audiobooks that are various philosophers in 90 minutes. And so it's Spinoza in 90 minutes, Aristotle in 90 minutes, Confucius in 90 minutes. And so each one is a, um, a, about 60 minutes it covers the life, the history of that philosopher, significant moments, uh, anecdotes, etc. And the last 30 minutes is sort of a history of philosophy in case you've only picked up that one. So the last 30 minutes tends to be repetitive if you listen to a lot of them. But it's a, it's a good car listen. Uh, they, I, there is actually a book version of most of these, but it's obviously geared towards an audio book. So who'd you just read, or what'd you listen to lately? Uh, the last one was Spinoza, so um, and that one was uh, definitely a little bit fun. But there's, I've also had uh, the Aristotle, the Nietzsche, the Hume, and all, each one of those was a little bit different. He has a very uh, humorous style. He tries to pick out moments in their life that are uh, definitely point out personality quirks and foibles and humorous anecdotes of of. Uh, of uh, moments in their life that may not have been uh, well known and definitely don't uh, point them in the most, uh, they don't, it's not painting somebody to, to be a, a marble statue or, or a bust. So I, I thought it was interesting to hear some people say that they avoid biography. I'm the opposite. I'm drawn to biography. If I go into a bookstore, one of the places I head for is the biography section, <clears throat> whatever that means, I don't know. But I brought uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin uh, the bully pulpit. And what I like about this is what I would propose is that you're getting four biographies for the price of one. <laughs> so I like that a lot. You get Teddy Roosevelt, and there are a lot of biographies on Teddy Roosevelt, but this is very good, and it particularly is good with his experience in the New York State <clears throat> Legislature very early in his political career, and I think it helps you understand the politician he became. And then you get uh, William Howard Taft. There are not a lot of biographies on William Howard Taft, but he's a fascinating guy. He was the essentially the opposite of Teddy Roosevelt in terms of his character and personality. He was a quiet, methodical, meditative, slow-working guy who also was brilliant, a real intellectual. And he and Teddy Roosevelt were great buddies they hit it off really well. It was like opposites attracted, and they made this yin-yang team, which became president and vice president for a while, and they had a remarkable positive relationship, which then crashed, completely fell apart when William Howard Taft became president, and that story's in here. Then you get Ida Tarbell, who uh, took apart John D. Rockefeller, uh, and the, uh, the oil cartel and monopolies and her story, and it really is her biography. She grew up the daughter of a man who tried to make it independently in the oil field and got crushed by John D. Rockefeller. So she had a, an ax to grind. 
but she couldn't have done it without the fourth person in here, who's a guy named Sam McClure. And he was the publisher of the most famous news magazine at the time. And he totally supported Ida Tarbell and allowed her to write the way she wanted to write about what she wanted to write about and published everything she wrote. And the two of them formed a team that was extremely successful, very influential. Oh, uh, this is Robin, and I uh, uh, brought in Bolivar by uh, Maria Rana. And uh, Bolivar, of course, was the famous liberator of six countries in Latin America in the early 19th century. And what's interesting about this, or one of the things that's interesting, not only the story of Bolivar, but Maria Rana wanted to write an accessible biography for North Americans because she thinks we've been... She uh, was born in uh, Peru, but she's an, uh, uh, an American writer now, and uh, she wanted North Americans to have a better understanding of Latin American history, so she wrote this sweeping biography of this uh, really compelling character who's brilliant, defeated time and time again, but keeps going for years, and he's kind of financing these wars on a shoestring. I guess one of the things I worry about with biographies is the great man syndrome of history, and am I getting the honest appraisal of someone? I'm coming to the, um, to the feeling that impartiality on the part of a writer, I think, is impossible. Mm -hmm. I think you bring to your writing of a biography your feelings about the period and who you admire and everything that, that has gone into the world since that period that you're writing about. Um, and the reason I'm thinking that is that I am in the midst of reading a biography of Alan Dulles about the secret government of the, um, that he set up. And I agree with his, all of his assessments, which is where I bring my own you know, prejudices into that, that, uh, that Alan Dulles and his brother committed treason during World War II. And if Roosevelt had lived, he would have been brought to, to answer for the things that he's doing, but Truman never, never did that. But a different, uh, you know, uh, 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 somebody who admired what Alan Dulles and his brother did would write an entirely different book. Mm -hmm. This new one is so disturbing. It's unbelievable to me. It's just unbelievable and so worth reading. The new one is coming out in um, September or October. It's by um, last, the guy whose last name is Talbot, David Talbot, I believe. He was one of the founders of Salon magazine and entirely readable, but you could feel, I mean, I could feel my blood boiling. And I could just imagine David Talbot's blood boiling as, as, as he confronted the events, this, these, guys, these brothers' lives. Un, uh, just unbelievable. And I mean, the question I thought you were going to ask, besides the hagiography, is why these biographies have to be so darn big. <laughs> and, do, and so you get a biography like that, and you know, my heart just tends to sink. Like, oh, do I have the time? Do I have, am I that interested? No matter what a good writer Maria Rana is, and she is a good writer, mm -hmm. and she wrote a wonderful memoir about growing up uh, Peruvian and, mm -hmm. um, and American. I, I really thought that was great. But 
I don't know. I, 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 there are very few writers who are as good storytellers, very few biographers who are as good a storyteller as Doris Kearns Goodwin is and David McCullough is. And we hold those up, I think, to be um, the exemplars. Just on that note, I'm waiting for the fourth volume by Robert Carroll on LBJ. So I agree. So I think the approach is to sort of triangulate these people and read more than one biography. I just read one a year or so ago that was was focused on the slave-owning activities of George Washington. And it was very eye-opening. You just don't read about those things. And the detail that's known about his activities in the slave trade and owning slaves was amazing. And, and the, the episode of he and his wife trying to get the slave back that ran away from them and, and got into New Hampshire and they couldn't find, but the effort they went to to get this slave back, you know, that's George Washington we're talking about. So to sort of triangulate these people and learn more about them I think is important. And the other point about why they're so long is I think a lot of the authors want to be definitive. Mm-hmm. They want their book to be the definitive book and so they don't want to miss anything and they get bogged down in the trees. I um, interviewed David Moranis a couple of years ago about his biography of Barack Obama and I guess it's called Barack Obama or, or Obama but when he met with President Obama he talked with them about some of his findings and he he mentioned in his book that Barack Obama's book, uh, Dreams for My Father, his uh, book about his father and his, uh, his autobiography or memoir was based on his knowledge and, and David Moranis had found out so many things about his mom and dad that Obama didn't know about. It. He just said that you know Obama didn't you know didn't have the luxury of having a historian at his shoulder. There's a great difference in reading dreams from my father compared to David Moranis's research he did on Obama and his family. Um, I just like to um, say that uh, some of the bio- biographies that I tend to stumble into are ones that are either gossipy or political or something like that. One fun one was by Oppenheimer, Crazy Rich, the story of the Johnson and Johnson family. And they were really a very peculiar and interesting family, obviously very rich and very influential, but uh, bizarre. What I thought was fascinating, Daniel Shulman's Sons of Wichita. And that's really topical because of the upcoming election season. Sons of Wichita is about the Koch family. Really very fascinating read. When I think about like the best biographies, I think the one one that I would that I would really recommend to everybody is an older title, but still um, just so worth reading. David Remnick's King of the World about um, the boxer, about Muhammad Ali. And it is uh, maybe maybe 250 pages and you know David Remnick's a terrific writer just a very 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 smart individual and this book just has it all this this kind of it just gives you everything that you would want to know about Muhammad Ali um, at a particular time in his life. I guess for me my takeaway is what what you both were saying about that you have to triangulate these people and and also that um, different eras reveal 
different people embedded in the era. So when I was reading some 1930s George Washington biographies, an entirely different person, even by reputable historians, than today, and that's that's really fascinating yeah. too. A really good um, a way to look at that is to look at the biographies um, written about Jefferson in during the New Deal, mm-hmm. and and the view of the New Deal uh, historians about Jefferson. Even though much that we know now about Jefferson, we knew then, but it was all it's all seen in light of the New Deal. And, and Jefferson is the precursor. There's a wonderful scene in a novel, and I forget the novel, but um, the, the main character has written a dissertation, or one of the characters has written a dissertation on the effect of Emily Dickinson on Shakespeare. <laughs> and, and, and we would always think about it the other way, you know, the effect of Shakespeare on Emily Dickinson. But this is the effect of Emily Dickinson on Shakespeare. And the point of the, of the and it's, of course it's a made-up uh, thesis, but the, the point of, of um, that person was that now we read Shakespeare, after reading Emily Dickinson, we read Shakespeare differently. Yeah. Or after we read any contemporary anything, we read, we read the past differently. I think that's just fascinating. Speaking of that, so in this book, The Bully Pulpit, Ida Tarbell went to Sam McClure in the 1890s and said she wanted to write a biography of Abraham Lincoln. And she had told other publishers this, and they all said, no, that's crazy. We know everything you could ever know about Abraham Lincoln. There's nothing new to learn about this guy. And she had found some uh, some old uh, publications that enlightened her that we didn't know everything about him and she was she interviewed some people who were still alive that knew Lincoln and worked with Lincoln and she told McClure this and he said go for it and she wrote this biography of Lincoln and people were amazed they learned things about him that they had never known uh, and they thought they knew it all there were a couple of biographies about Lincoln and his mental state in the last decade anyways, right? And those were new ideas about Lincoln. And again, it was modern, new ways of interpreting Lincoln because of our current knowledge. Yeah, yeah, our knowledge about brain chemistry and um, uh, depression and all of that. Yeah, I, I mean, we forget how much the present influences the past. I, I mean, I think that's something, you know, we should wake up every morning and say, you know, today I am influencing the way we think about the past. But we don't, we pay so little attention to either, to, to, to either looking at the past. So, you know, it's, history is not so important to schools, it seems. Maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but um, yeah. It was making me think of a couple of other biographies I remember that I did uh, read about two years ago that with how the, the, the biographies make us think about other past characters that we didn't necessarily think about that may have lived been contemporaries and we don't think of them at the same time. Uh, Catherine the Great, the, the book that was, and the fact that she was, a cont- uh, the times that she was, that they were writing and covering about were contemporaries of George Washington and also uh, John Paul Jones wound up finishing his life in her, in the Russian Navy, and uh, the, 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 thing, the events that were going on in Paris, uh, the French Revolution at that same time, and Russia had a war with, uh, with Turkey around the Caspian Sea at the same time that there were harems still. I mean, you just have all of these moments of time that you, don't, that you think about very 
uh, independent, but actually were coalescing around the same time. And a similar one was uh, Cleopatra, the autobi the biography, obviously not auto, um, and that was really interesting and uh, talking about her and her relationship with King Herod and uh, the fact that we think of Cleopatra being Egyptian, being so close in time to Egypt and the pyramids, but she's actually closer in time to us now than she is to when the pyramids were <laughs> were built back then. So it's just, uh, you know, wow. it, we, th we think of time uh, individually, ind independently, very differently than when we think about them relative to other contemporaries and other historical events. The book about Catherine the Great was Robert Massey, and, and his earlier book, which he wrote with his wife, I believe, was um, Nicholas and Alexandra. But, but, and he's another wonderful storyteller. That's a wonderful uh, biography of Catherine the Great. And Keith, that's so fascinating what you said. And I do, and I do think that's what makes a biography special is, is the connections we make in our minds after reading that book or the things that we see that we didn't see before. Okay, I'm leaving it there because those are profound ideas to end with. I am, right. a, I am a profound person. All of you are. All of you are. So, thank you all. That was great.